the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us again in another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And by the way, I want to just thank all of you for your support of this ministry, this radio show. We are uh, pretty soon we'll be approaching um, our uh, the end of our third season. In other words, almost 150 episodes on the air. So thank you so much for your prayers and support. And it is because of this we are able to always bring in great guest speakers, great teachers like my brother Sam Shimon, who is joining me again today to continue our fabulous series related uh, regarding our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've been talking about it uh, for the last couple of episodes, we were using the Quran as a stepping stone. I emphasize as a stepping stone, as a bridge to bring our Muslim people back to the Bible. We are not endorsing the Quran as a scripture or as the authority or as the word of God. But as my brother Sam last week mentioned, biblical references to support this, for instance, from Acts 17, 28, when Paul used a uh, two poems, basically, and also in Titus, he also referred to a Cretan false prophet to support his, basically, theology. In other words, he used it as a stepping stone to now expand on it and share the truth. So this is the reason why we're doing this. Sam, thank you again, brother, for joining us, and please let our audience know how they can get a hold of you, but let's pray first. Amen. I invoke the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to sanctify this show as well in the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the holiness and the health we need to glorify Him and to magnify the name of Jesus so that the Father will be pleased to use our meager efforts to strengthen Christians and convict Muslims to turn to Christ, their only hope of salvation. May the Father wash us in the blood of Jesus and fill us with the Spirit to glorify Him because we love the Father, we love His Son, we love the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Have your way with us, Lord. Amen. And uh, the websites where people can uh, uh, find you, brother? Yes, uh, answering-islam.org, also answeringislam.net. It's Answering Islam website. By the grace of God, it's become the chief website dealing with Islam. And I also started a blog where all my current articles will be posted until they appear on the main site, answeringislamblog.wordpress.com, answeringislamblog.wordpress.com. And they can find the shows I used to do with David Wood, Jesus or Muhammad, on YouTube by just typing in my name, Sam Shamoon, or Jesus or Muhammad, and they'll find also my lectures and various debates that I've done by the grace of God. <clears throat> That's wonderful, my brother, and thank you again for taking the time to join us. Uh, I know you're always busy, and uh, Lord bless you, and keep, uh, keep us in mind whenever your uh, Pal Talk uh, lectures are available online so people can benefit from that as well. I yeah, appreciate that, uh, your support, and I praise God for you. And I want to encourage, as you've been encouraging people to support me, to support you prayerfully and financially. 
because if I didn't think you're a man of integrity whom the Lord is using mightily, I wouldn't be on your show. So God bless you and strengthen you, and I encourage the brothers and sisters to pray for you and support you because you're a mighty man of God for the glory of Jesus. Thank you, my brother. So last week, Sam, we talked uh, about how Jesus was presented in the Quran as a creator. And uh, you made references to a number of Quranic, uh, basically, passages. I'll just give my viewers quick reference to them, like in chapter 5, verse 110, chapter 3, verse 49. uh, And then related that to how God, Allah, in the Quran also made that uh, reference to himself as a creator in chapter 6, verse 2, chapter 38, verse 71 to 72, and 15, 20 to 29. So uh, building upon that, uh, what else do you'd like to add, brother? Yeah, I want to go back and talk about some of the titles given to Jesus in the Quran, because again, what we find in the Quran is Muhammad picking up, adopting and adapting certain titles, as well as functions and attributes that Christians ascribe to the Lord Jesus, making it part of his religion, part of his deen, part of the Quran. And obviously he did so with the hopes that to get Christians to consider his message seriously, because he had so much positive things to say about Jesus, even though he says that Jesus is just a mere servant, He's not God in the flesh, the Divine Son. One of the titles that Muhammad picked up is the term, in Arabic it's Al-Masih, which in Hebrew would be Ha-Mashiach, the Greek would be Ha-Christos, the Christ. That's one of the names that the Quran ascribes to Jesus and only to Jesus, which is ironic, because whereas the Quran knows of only one Messiah, Al-Masih, one Christ, Jesus, we know from from the Hebrew Scriptures, we know from the Holy Bible, that the term Mashiach, means anointed one. And just to educate my Christian brothers and sisters, as well as Muslims, the word Mashiach, the term anointed one, is used for a variety of figures. It's used for prophets, priests, and kings, because it it refers to the fact that God anoints certain people by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish specific tasks. So a priest was anointed by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to do his ministry. A king was anointed by God in the power of the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Spirit to rule for God, etc., etc. Ironically, the word Mashiach, anointed one, Christ, is also used of a pagan in Isaiah 45, verse 1. If you go to Isaiah 45, verse 1, God speaking of the pagan ruler Cyrus, right, the leader of the Medes Persian Empire, whom God used to topple the Babylonians, he says to Cyrus, Cyrus, my anointed one, my Messiah, my Christ. So as far as the Bible's concerned, that phrase, anointed one, is applied to any person anointed by God, anointed by the Spirit, to perform a specific task. Now, with that said, the Bible does speak of the anointed one, one particular individual who would be anointed to save the people of God, to bring about eternal salvation, redemption, and to restore the earth to its perfect Edonic condition. And that anointed one is none other than Jesus. So. Jesus is called the Christ because that title most most directly and most perfectly applies to him more so than any other individual. Now, when it comes to the Quran, the Quran acknowledges that he is the Christ. It says that in chapter 3, verse 45. So let's read that so I can unpack the significance of the Quran taking over a title that the Bible ascribes to Jesus in a unique sense, because Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. That title applies to him more than it does to any other individual. And with that comes specific responsibilities that Jesus, as that Christ, fulfills in no one else. But before I go into that, let's go to 345. Here's what the Quran says. Behold, the angel said, O Mary, 
God gives thee good news, glad tidings of a word from him. Here's another title that the Quran gives to Jesus, aping what the Gospel of John says in the book of Revelation. His name will be Christ Jesus, Al-Messiah, Al-Messiah Isa, Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, held in honor in this world and the hereafter, and of the company of those nearest to God. So here it acknowledges that this word that God gives to Mary, this word that came down from God to Mary, the word's name is the Messiah Jesus. We already unpacked the meaning, the significance of Jesus being called the Word of God in the Quran. So let me encourage your audience to go back and listen to some of the archive shows where we unpacked that when in depth. Absolutely. Here we're going to focus on the fact that he's called the Messiah. And it's not the only place where he's called the Messiah. Chapter 4, verse 171, again he's called Messiah. And in that context, he's given other titles that we unpacked in previous shows. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 171, because I know time is fleeting, but by the grace of God, I want to do justice to this title. O people of the book, chapter 4, verse 171. O people of the book, commit no excesses in your religion, nor say of God except the truth. Christ Jesus, there it goes again, he's called Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary. Al-Messiah Isa ibn Maryam was an apostle of God, right? And his word, which he conveyed, bestowed, cast on Mary, and a spirit proceeding from him. Now notice what 4172 says. Christ does not disdain to be a servant of God. Notice again, it simply calls him Christ. It doesn't even say Christ Jesus anymore. It simply calls him Christ, presupposing that Christ is his name. Not just the title, but it's part of his name. So you with me there so far, brother? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, here's the problem, though. The Quran does not tell us what the Christ implies or signifies when used of Jesus. It doesn't tell us the significance of Jesus being called the Christ. So when, when the Quran fails to provide adequate details, the Quran tells Muslims what to do, especially when it comes to biblical issues. When it comes to topics related to Christianity or Judaism, or topics touched upon in the Bible, that the Quran does not go in-depth on, doesn't provide adequate details, the Muslims are told to go to the Jews and Christians and ask them for the details. So let me give you those verses substantiating what I just said. Chapter 10, verse 94 of the Quran. <clears throat> in chapter 10, verse 94, this is what we're told. If you, Muhammad, are in doubt concerning what we reveal unto you, if you doubt, now this is speaking specifically to Muhammad, but by extension applies to his followers as well. If you're in doubt concerning what we reveal to you, then question those who've been reading the book before you. Now, here's my question to you, brother. Who are the people who've been reading the book, Kitab, before Muhammad showed up? Well, according to the Quran and Muhammad himself, the Christians and the Jews. So, if a Muslim doesn't understand or has doubts concerning a biblical character mentioned in the Quran, what is that Muslim to do according to the Quran? Um, what is he supposed to do? If, the, if Muhammad, you're saying... No, if a Muslim, in general, has some doubts or uncertainty right. about a certain biblical figure or biblical characteristic mentioned yes. in the Quran, what are they supposed to do? According to this, he's supposed to ask the people of the book. And if there's any doubt, let me give them another verse, because I know Muslims listen, and I want them to see what their book tells them to do. 1643. And we sent not, 1643, Surah al-Nahl, verse 43, and we sent not before you apostles that were men. Ask the followers of the remembrance if you do not know. If you have doubt about this, not just the Muhammad, but the people who are uh, questioning Muhammad or his followers, ask the people, the followers of the remembrance. Now, in the context of the Quran, the followers of the zikr, 
Al-Zikr, remembrance, is again referring to the scripture given to the Jews and Christians, because their scripture was a remembrance, a reminder for them. So again, if you're, if you're doubting any of this, ask them. Go and inquire of them. So again, you Muslims, you need to ask Jews and Christians, specifically Christians, who agree with the Quran, or I should say the Quran agrees with them, that Jesus is the Christ, what the title Christ means, because your Quran doesn't tell you. So that said, let's unpack the significance of the term Christ. Are you ready, bro? I am. Well, in its, in its Old Testament and New Testament context, the term Christ, in relation to Jesus, refers to the anointed king, the anointed one that God would send from the line of David, from the house of David, in order to rule not, o- not only over David's household, but an entire world on behalf of God forever. Let's go to First Chronicles 17, 10-14. This concept of the anointed king coming, coming from the house of David <clears throat> comes from passages such as First Chronicles 17, 10-14. And the Muslims don't need to believe me, take my word for it. Ask the Jews, where did they come up with the notion, the concept of the Messiah, son of David, the anointed ruler from the line of David, And they, too, will appeal to the same passages that I'm appealing to. So both Jews and Christians agree that these passages that I'm about to quote refer explicitly to the anointed ruler from the line of David, a descendant from David's house who would fulfill the promises that God made to David as he rules forever over the entire world. So let's look at First Chronicles 17, 10-14. God speaking to David. I declare to you the Lord will build a house for you. The prophet Nathan is speaking to David on behalf of God. And so he says to David, the Lord, Yahweh, has sworn that he'll build a house for you, David. Then it will be when your days are full and you go to your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you from your own sons. So here's God's promise. His kingdom I will establish. He is the one who will build me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. For how long, brother? Forever. So you, whoever this Messiah is, this, this anointed one is, he doesn't rule for a short period of time. He rules forever. Now watch this, though. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Wow. Here in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, a king will come from David's line, which in its initial historical context was Solomon, but he failed to live up to the expectations of God, and he died like all the other kings, which is why Jews said, well... This means that there's going to be one who will come, who will then perfectly fulfill all these promises, which none of the other kings were able to do, because they died, or they sinned and failed God, right? But notice what God says about this one. I'm going to be his father. He's going to be my son. So this anointed ruler from David's line will be the son of God. Amen. However, the Quran says, God has no son. Jesus isn't his son, even though it affirms that Jesus is the Christ. So do you see the dilemma? Because the Quran now is contradicting what the previous scripture, the dhikr, remembrance, is saying. Exactly. Even though it affirms that Jesus is the Christ. And according to the previous scriptures, that Christ will be the Son of God, sitting on God's throne, ruling it forever. So how can the Quran say Jesus is the Christ, and yet deny he's an eternal ruler and the Son of God? Now, Islamic theology does say Jesus will come to rule. But it says he will rule only for a short period of time, approximately 40 years. Again... How can you have the Quran agreeing that Jesus is the Christ, not just a Christ, but the Christ to come, when according to the vicar given to the Jews and Christians, according to the book in the hands of the Jews and Christians, that Christ doesn't rule for a short period of time. 
He rules forever. He rules all creation and is the Son of God, all of which Muhammad denied, even though he affirmed that Jesus is the Christ. You see the dilemma? Yes, sir. Now, that same prophecy goes on to say, I will not take away my favor from him as I did from the one who was before you. I will assign him a place in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established for all time. Now, no, again, I don't know how much time I have, but I'd like to look at two other prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, if time permits me. <clears throat> so, Psalm 2. Notice what Psalm 2 is going to say about the anointed king, the Messiah to come, typified by David, but who is depicting Jesus to come as the ultimate fulfillment. So these kings were typical. In other words, each king had the potential of fulfilling the promise, but that king fell short because of sin and because of death, which then led the Jews to assume that there would be one in particular who would fulfill it perfectly, and we know that one to be Jesus. So Psalm 2, let's look at it. Let me look at the first four verses. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, his Messiah. Here the word Mashiach appears, where we get the word Messiah in Arabic, Christos in Greek, against this Christ, saying, let us tear off their bonds and cast away their robes from us. Now the point of this passage is saying that the kings of the earth do not want to submit to the Christ of God. They refuse to acknowledge the Christ as king over them. They don't want him to rule over them. So now notice what God says. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord ridicules them. <clears throat> then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his burning anger. So I'm going to continue all the way to 12. Watch, watch the prophecy. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will declare the decree of the Lord. He said to me, now the king is speaking, the Messiah, the Christ, which David typified, right? David was a shadow of this one to come. I will declare the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Wow. Here we have another dilemma, brother. Not only does this psalm again confirm that the Messiah, the anointed one, which David typified, because David was a picture of that one to come, is God's son, but God says that this king I have personally begotten. I have begotten my king. Now, obviously, God did it spiritually, because God is not a physical being. He doesn't have sex, and he's not a woman that gets pregnant. So it's a spiritual begetting. But, brother, according to the Quran, Allah, lam yalid wa lam yulid. He neither begets nor is begotten, correct? That's correct. However, the very verb, because remember, Arabic and Hebrew are cognate languages. They're Semitic languages. They're sister languages. If you go look at the word for begotten, it's the word yalad. Correct. It's the Hebrew cognate of the Arabic <coughs> Yalid. Yes, that's correct. So the Quran denies that Allah Yalid. begets, that's whereas correct. the Hebrew Bible, in agreement with the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, says God does beget, albeit spiritually, not physically, not sexually. Because he says, you are my son, and I have begotten you. And I just so now we have another problem. Absolutely. The, I'll just quickly remind my Muslim uh, uh, audience that sometimes you appeal to the Jews as if because they denied Jesus, that means their Bible, the Old Testament, agrees with the Quran. That's not true. Exactly. So now you have a dilemma. The Messiah, because it uses the word Mashiach here in, in verse 2 of Psalm 2. This is Psalm chapter 2, the entire Psalm. This king, which David typified, because David was a picture of that king to come, so although it's addressed to David, its ultimate fulfillment is Jesus. This Messiah is God's Son, begotten by God, and then it says in verse 8, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, 
and the ends of the earth for your possession. So notice, this king, the Messiah, will rule all nations. All nations are his inheritance. They belong to him. Now notice the warning given to the nations. Verse 12. God says to the nations, kiss the son. Nashkubar. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath kindles in a flash. Blessed are all who seek refuge in him. So now we have a dilemma, a nightmare, for the Quran and for Muslims. Jesus is the Messiah, according to the Quran. But according to Psalm 2, that Messiah, who comes from David's line, whom David was a shadow of, will rule all nations. That Messiah is the Son of God, whom God begets spiritually, not physically, not sexually. And all nations must kiss him, in other words, worship him, and submit to him, otherwise that Son will destroy them. Amen. And you know, brother, we have about four minutes, and I really hate for us to digest this just in four minutes. Will you be willing to do at least another to. part or two on this? Well, we're going to have to probably do two more parts, because I haven't even gone into the New Testament. Absolutely. And I want to just tell my, uh, my listeners this, whether you're a Muslim or none, just by looking at Psalm 2, you, the, the Quran actually falls apart, especially chapter 112 of the Quran, because... Here, God himself is, have no problem calling himself the father for this particular Christ whom he has begotten as his son. So we have a problem. Major problem, because not only do we have the New Testament contradicting the Quran, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, written before Christians were around, agrees that the anointed one, Mashiach, is God's son whom God begets spiritually, agrees that he's an eternal king with a kingdom, that lasts forever, and confirms that this king, this Messiah, will rule over all nations, and all nations must bow to him, worship him, and submit to him. Now, what does that mean for Muslims? Well, the Muslim nations are required to submit to this Christ, not just as a prophet, but as their eternal king and as the Son of God, which means that Muslims who agree that Jesus is the Christ must agree that by saying that he's the Christ, he's that eternal king, that they all must kiss, honor, worship, pay homage to, and submit to, because he's their eternal king, who will rule over them forever. But the Quran denies that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he's an eternal king with an eternal kingdom. So now you see the dilemma. Absolutely, brother, absolutely. Thank you so much for this, brother. In the last uh, two, semi-two minutes, um, just want to uh, recap quickly for our audience. We've been talking about the titles of Jesus in the Quran, and the last show and today we're focusing more on some of the powerful titles that the Quran, directly or indirectly, knowingly or unknowingly, was using for Jesus, yet at the same time it actually backfires against the theology of Islam because it reveals Jesus as divine, as equal to God, as God basically incarnate, if you wish. And today we're talking about the title Messiah. And just, we, we're, we haven't even scratched the surface yet. We're talking just how the Quran inadvertently admitted that the Christ of the Old Testament is no other than the begotten Son of God. And God himself declared him this, for instance, in Psalm 2. Exactly. And since Jesus is that Christ, that means by saying he's the Christ, they're saying he's the Son of God, the Eternal King, and yet the Quran denies that. So you can't have him being the Christ without him being the Son, the Eternal King, whom all nations must submit to and worship. Amen. He's either the Christ and the Son of God, or he's not the Christ. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you accept the title, you have to accept all the implications that go with Jesus being that Christ. Amen, brother, and uh, thank you for agreeing to do more uh, parts about this particular important topic. Brother, once again, let's remind our audience how they can get a hold of you, follow you, and bless you. Yes, 
go to answeringislam.net or answering-islam.org. Individual authors, they'll find me, Sam Shumun, my articles. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to them and my email if they want to contact me. Even invite me to speak. I travel to speak if, if the Lord wants them to invite me. They can also go to the blog, answeringislamblog.wordpress.com, answeringislamblog.wordpress.com, or find me on YouTube, put Sam Shamoon, you'll find my debates, my lectures, and the shows I did with David Wood called Jesus or Muhammad. And please do bathe me, my wife, and precious daughters, two of them, in your prayers that God will watch over us, keep us healthy, more importantly, make us holy, in love with Him, and provide for us to continue to glorify Him because He's worthy. Remember, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, and Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. And you've been uh, listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi. You can always go back to listen to our archived uh, shows uh, uh, via a variety of venues. My uh, website, sirainternational.com, C as in Charlie, sirainternational.com, or soundcloud.com, or even through KPXQ 1360. Either way, uh, we would love for you to continue to listen to us, follow us, and uh, we covet your prayers and support. God bless you. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.